Hi, my name is Charles Hefner on program staff. You're listening to week six of False Creek Podcast. The speaker for week six was Shane Pruitt, and we had 5,061 students in attendance. Enjoy. Hey. Yes. Are you glad to be here? We are so glad that you're here. Why don't you turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, I'm so glad you got to sit by me. Won't you tell them that? What a joy it is to worship Jesus with you. My name is Shane, and I am just looking forward to getting to know you this week and worship Jesus with you, and I am excited to see what God will do. And before we jump into God's Word, I just want to tell you briefly about myself by telling you about my most important ministry, and that's my family. I have a wonderful wife named Casey. And this year we'll celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And then we have five kids that are 13 and under. That is a prayer request. All right. Our oldest is our daughter, Reagan. She is 13. Then Harper is eight today. Today is her birthday. Uh, They're both both biological daughters. And then we have a six-year-old son adopted from Uganda, Africa. And then we have a three-year-old son named Elliot who was adopted from Texas. And then a two-year-old, yeah, yeah. And then a two-year-old daughter named Glory also adopted from Texas. I live in Texas, so it is great to be with you. And so that's my primary ministry. Everything else is from the overflow of that. But one of my favorite things to do is be able to travel all over the nation and speak to your generation. So I'm excited to see what God will do. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, Genesis chapter 1 is right before Genesis chapter 2. Does that help anybody? All right. If you would, go ahead and get out something to write on, because we're going to answer four questions tonight that are the four basic questions of life. And everyone has to be able to answer these questions in their life. And this will set the foundation for the rest of the week. And so tonight we're going to do kind of an overview of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then the rest of the week we will lock down and go verse by verse through some scriptures. And we're going to answer the four basic questions of life. The theme of False Creek this summer is mystery. Now, a mystery is different than a secret. A mystery is meant to be discovered. And I pray that this week you would discover the things that God would have to share with us through his word. So Genesis chapter 1, if you have something to write on, get that out. If you have something to write with, get that out. So if you have a pen or pencil or highlighter, lipstick, eyeliner, whatever you got, get that out. And I want you to jot down some things. We're going to answer the four basic questions of life. And I want to give you those questions up front. So 7.5 billion people alive in the world today, and every single person has these four questions that they're asking themselves constantly. And we can see the answer to all four of those questions in the first three chapters of Genesis. Question number one, I want you to write this down. Where did I come from? Where did I come from? Question number two, write this down. Why am I here? Why am I here? Question number three, write this down. What is wrong with me? (laughs) What is wrong with me? 
And then question number four, what is the solution? So where did I come from? Why am I here? What is wrong with me? And what is the solution? We're going to answer those four questions tonight. 7.5 billion people and every single person asked those four questions about their own life. So question number one, where did I come from? Look at Genesis chapter one. I want to give you an overview. Genesis one. Genesis chapter one, verse one. If you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh. Turn to your neighbor and say, pay attention now. Look at this. It says, in the beginning, God. That God has always been here. That no one created God. So you may ask the question, who who created God? God has always been. God is eternal. When you get to the beginning of it all, God is already there. It's very powerful. And then when you continue on in Genesis 1, it talks about creation. That God spoke and it was day one. God spoke and it was day two, day three, day four, day five. Then we get to day six where God creates the crowning jewel of all of creation. Now look at verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want you to write this down. Right here in Genesis 1. I want you to put, there is the Trinity of God right there. It's the triune God, that he is God the Father, God the what? Son, God the Holy Spirit. That Jesus did not begin 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always been. The Son of God is eternal. In the beginning was also the Son of God. And so right here you see involved in creation is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Look at this. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now stop right there, and I want you to write this down. I am created by a holy and on-purpose God. So you say, where did we come from? Did we come from apes? No. We came from a holy, on-purpose God. That is where we came from. And we are made in his image. There's a fancy term for this that comes from Latin called the Imago Dei. Turn to your neighbor and say Imago Dei. Tell them that. And what does that mean? It means this, we are made in the image of God. Now listen, Falls Creek, we could talk the rest of this week about what it means to be made in the image of God. But let me give you a simple definition. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Basically, the image of God means this. Out of all of creation, nothing resembles God more than mankind does. Out of the galaxies, the universe, the solar system, the sun, the moon, the stars, planet Earth, the mountains, the trees, your chihuahua, nothing resembles God more than we do. It sets us apart. It means we are made in the image of our creator. It's like we are created to be a mirror so that when the rest of creation looks at us, they would see the image of our creator. It puts extreme value on us. You are valuable. And this is so relevant to your generation. I love your generation. So culture has called your generation, Generation Z. Now, why are you called Generation Z? 
because somebody with a lot of initials behind their name decided to call you Generation Z. The only thing that scares me about that is if you're Generation Z, does that mean the world ends after you, or do we start over with A? I don't know, all right? But here's what we know about your generation, is you're the smartest generation that ever lived. You have the world in the palm of your hand, right? You're the wealthiest generation to ever lived, but watch this. You're also the most depressed generation to ever lived. How many of you, watch this, think about the thousands of people in here. How many of you know someone who deeply struggles with anxiety or depression or thoughts of suicide or cutting themselves? How many of you know somebody like that? Raise your hand. And some of us, I want everybody to look up and meet eyes with me. Some of us in here, we feel like an accident because you've been told that. Earlier this year, I was speaking at a student conference, and afterward, this girl comes up. She's about 16, and she's doing the ugly cry. Do you know what the ugly cry is? It's like, boop, 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 and like snot bubbles. And she came up and gave my wife and I a hug, and we're like, ah, oh, make room for the Holy Spirit. Flu season, all right, right? And we're like, what's up? And she goes, thank you for telling me I'm made in the image of God. And we say, what's going on? She goes, my mom died when I was little. My dad's very angry and bitter. And my dad tells me all the time I'm nothing more than an accident from the backseat of a car. Could you imagine that? Some of you can because you've heard the same thing. Last year at a student camp, I was preaching afterwards, same thing. This guy comes up. He's just this big corn-fed dude, just got a scholarship to play college football. Same thing, ugly cry. He comes up, gives me a hug. I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, thank you for telling me that I'm not an accident and that God created me and that I'm on purpose. I'm like, what's up, man? And he goes, last week before coming to youth camp, I got in a fight with my mom. She's an alcoholic. She came home drunk. We got in an argument. She put her finger in my face and said, I should have gone through with the abortion. He had never heard that before. He goes, Mom, what are you talking about? She goes, when I was 16 and pregnant with you, I was going to abort you, but my friends talked me out of it. I wish I'd have gone through with it. Could you imagine being told that by your mom? Some of you can because you've heard that before. I want everybody to look up at me. Hear me. If you hear anything tonight, hear this. You say, where did I come from? You came from a holy on purpose God. Listen, and there are no mistakes with God. The word oops is not in his vocabulary. And you may have surprised your parents, but you did not surprise creator God. You are not an accident. You are here because a holy on purpose God said so. And hear me. Hey, we live in the South, so we can use double negatives, right? God don't make no junk. You are made in the image of him. You matter. So where did I come from? A holy, on-purpose God. And I love this. You are different. But look at this within creation. I love verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's nothing more different out of creation than mankind. But within mankind, is there anything more different than guys and girls? Where's all my dudes at? Where's all the guys at? Where's all the dudes at? Like, guys, man, I love you, but you need some help, guys. We're just gross. We're the only species in the world that can clean out our ear with our house key, right? That's just gross. All right. Now, girls, all right, where's all my sisters at? Where's all my sisters? Now, hey. Hey, you're a little weird, too. I got three daughters. Like, you start planning your wedding day when you're seven. All right, that's just weird. Like, us guys, when we're seven, we got a bucket on our head hitting ourselves with a hammer. You know what I mean? And, like, we're different. 
And God created us to be this. And hear me, hear me, please hear my heart in this. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. You are male because a holy on purpose God said so and he doesn't make mistakes. And you are female because a holy and purpose God says so and he doesn't make mistakes. And we're different and God created us to be different. Like a, a wise man once said this. He said men are a lot like dogs and women are a lot like cats. He said men are a lot like dogs because how do you make a dog happy? You feed him. And all the men said, amen. And then he said, women are a lot like cats, because how do you make a cat happy? Nobody knows, right? So, hey, now hear me. And God created us to be different. Now, I want to be an equal opportunist before all the ladies, like, beat me up on my golf cart, all right? I want to be an equal opportunist. In a moment, you're going to see where God created man than woman. And my wife and I were reading the Bible together, and I said, hey, babe, why do you think God created Adam than Eve, man than woman? She said there's always a rough draft before the final copy. Amen? All right, so. So where did you come from? A holy, on-purpose creator God. Number two, right? The, number two question. Why are we here? Now jump down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. For time's sake. I love this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. says, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground. Now I love that. There's such a sermon even in this verse right here. It says, then the Lord God, right there is amazing. See, Genesis chapter 2 is more of an in-depth commentary on day 6 of creation. And then it says, then the Lord God, so the writer of Genesis is Moses. And he calls right here, God, Lord God. In the Hebrew, write this down, it's Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. Now, there's a sermon in the name that Moses gives God right there. See, because in chapter 1... When Moses refers to God, he always used the term Elohim. The Elohim name of God means this, all-powerful creator God, that he is all-powerful. But right here, he adds a name and calls him Yahweh Elohim. The word Yahweh literally means this, covenant relational God. So there's a whole sermon just right there in that, in that name. In Genesis 1, he calls him Yahweh, or he calls him Elohim. Genesis 2, he calls him Yahweh Elohim. Elohim means all-powerful. Yahweh means covenant relational. So basically what he's saying right here is this, that this God who is all-powerful, who speaks creation into existence, who holds the galaxies together, that same God desires to have a relationship with his creation, me and you. And then he says this, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Just real quick, so much there. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the what? From the what? Ground, from the dust, right? Now think about this. According to this verse, what are we made from? Dirt, right? The ground, dust, dirt. Even biology, when we take biology, teaches us that, that our body is primarily dirt and water. At best, we are mud outside the image of God, right? Now listen, this one's for free tonight. That is why there is no room for racism in the kingdom of God. Because at the end of the day, it's our image 
It's God's image on us that makes us valuable. Think about it. At the end of the day, we're just dirt. Some of us are tall dirt. Some of us are short dirt. Some of us are thin dirt. Some of us are wide dirt. Some of us are white dirt. Some of us are brown dirt. Some of us are black dirt. But at the end of the day, we're what? What makes us valuable is that God's image is on us, and it makes everyone equally valuable. And then watch this. Why are we here? That's the question. Why are we here? God breathed life into us. And we just sang that when Mike and the band. That God breathed life into us. It's the Hebrew word nephesh. And it means this, spirit. That God breathed his spirit in us. And we became spiritual beings. Listen, we are more than flesh and blood. We are more than hands and feet and arms. We have a soul in us. We have a spirit in us. And once again, that's what makes you different from the rest of creation is that you have a soul, a spirit inside of you. And the reason that we are here is so that we can know Creator God. There's a great question that says this, what is the chief end of mankind? And it's this, to know the Lord and enjoy Him forever. We are here to know God. That is why we have breath in our lungs. That is why we have a soul and a spirit, so that we can worship Creator God and know Him and enjoy Him forever. And let me just say this real quick, because I think this is culturally relevant. Um, how many of you have pets? Anybody have pets? All right, we have a little pet. Her name's Daisy Lane, all right? She's half Siberian Husky and half Poodle. She's called a Cyber Poo, all right? That's weird. Cyber poo, all right? Now, some of you in here, let's just be, we're a little weird with our animals, aren't we? They're like, oh, they're family. We take pictures with them. We let them lick us in the mouth. That's disgusting, all right? And you're like, me and my poodle, we have such a spiritual connection. No, you don't. That's called kibbles and bits, all right? You feed them. Listen, your poodle, your chihuahua, your kitty cat does not have a soul and spirit. You have a soul. You have a spirit. God breathed life into you. Our animals do not. So one day, all right, uh, back before I was traveling, speaking, and working with our state convention, um, I was pastoring a church, and one day um, I was in Target, and there's another church in our town that does pet blessing services. Have you ever seen this before? Like a pet blessing service, like you bring your pet to church, and I don't know, I guess the priest, like, sprinkles and, and like, baptizes cats. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool, all right? I don't know. And they do pet blessing service, like, where the priest or priestess will bless your pet, bless your animals. So one day I'm at Target, or if you're French, Target, and this lady recognizes me and goes, aren't you the pastor of so-and-so church? And I go, yes, ma'am. And she goes, well, pastor, at my church, we bless the animals. Do you bless the animals at your church? And I said, yes, ma'am right before we eat them. Father, would you bless this fried chicken in the name of Jesus because I'm going to get this chicken grease all over my face. All right, now, why are you here? To know the Lord. Where did you come from? Creator God. Why are you here? To know that God. And hear me, until you know the Lord, until you worship the Lord, you will not be living out the purpose of your life. How many of you are like me? You're not really morning people. Not really morning people? All right. How many of you are like my wife? She wakes up at like 5 a.m. just singing songs. I'm like, got the pillow over my head praying for Jesus to come back. All right. 
But have you ever woke up in the morning, instead of saying, good morning, Lord, you say, good Lord, it's morning. You stumble into the bathroom, turn the light on, you look at yourself in the mirror, you got bedhead going on, you got pillow grid on your face, you got eye crusties, nose crusties, and you stare at yourself in the mirror. Have you ever done this? Have you ever stared at yourself in the mirror so long you freak yourself out? Have you ever done that? And then you look at yourself, and you get this little tear in your eye, and it rolls down your face. And you say, God, why am I here? You are here to know the Lord. You are here to worship Creator God. You are here to enjoy Him forever. And until that is the testimony of your life, you will always feel like something's missing. Because you will not be living out the purpose of your existence. And at the end of the day, and we'll talk more about this this week, at the end of the day, it's not your life. Don't we all say that? It's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Have you ever said that before? It's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Usually we say that when we're fighting with our mama, right? Right before we slam the bedroom door. We go, mama, it's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Oh, right? Hear me. The first time my kids do that, that door's coming off the hinges, baby, all right? You're like, what about their privacy? Privacy comes with a four-letter word, R-E-N-T. You want some privacy? You better pay some rent up in here, all right? But is it really your life? You say, why am I here? Is it really your life? Everybody take your right hand. Everybody right now, just take your right hand, hold it up, put it in front of your mouth and breathe. You feel that breath? Feel that breath? Let me ask you this. If it's really your life, what do you have to do with that breath? The answer is nothing. It began the moment God said, it will end the moment God said. It's his breath. Give it back to him in praise. That is why you're here. So number one, where did I come from? Creator God. Number two, why am I here? To know that creator God. Number three, what is wrong with me? <laughs> now jump over to Genesis 3. Look at verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Here's the enemy is Satan, and here's Adam and Eve placed in the garden. God created Adam, then creates Eve. They're in the garden. God said, you may eat of everything but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. You say, well, why would God do that? It was an opportunity for them to obey their holy God. That's what worship is. It's a way for them to obey him, trust him. And then here comes the serpent, the enemy, Satan. And then look what he says. And the serpent, the enemy, Satan, said to the woman, did God actually say, now, I want you to watch this exchange, because this is exactly what the enemy does to you and I thousands of years later. He's going to try to get Eve to doubt the word of God. And he said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tree in the, of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman. Now, how many of you believe this is the word of God? Do you believe that? How many of you believe when this speaks, God speaks? There should never be a moment where we're pleading with God to speak to us and we got our Bibles closed collecting dust. If we want God to speak, we open his word. Now I think it's very intentional that God compares Satan to a snake. And I think this is biblical. There are no good snakes. 
You're like, if it's got a rounded head, it's non-venomous. If it's got a square head, listen, I'm not getting close enough to look. Mr. Snake, before you bite me, can I look at the shape of your head? Listen, if it's bigger than a worm, it's a cobra, all right? That's, that's biblical right there, all right? No. But the serpent said to the woman, look at this, you will not die. What is the serpent doing here? What is Satan doing? Calling God a what? Liar. God is a liar. Don't trust him. Don't listen to him. Listen, we are here from God. We are here to know that God. And then here's the serpent saying, you don't have to listen to God. He's a liar. Now look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now hear me, real quick. That was the great temptation. The great temptation was not eating an apple. First of all, we don't even know if it's an apple. It says fruit. But even the fruit, eating the fruit was just the fruit of a deeper temptation. See, the temptation was this. You can be like who? God. Eve, you don't need to be your own God. Or Eve, you don't need to listen to God. Be your own God. Eve, God doesn't know how to make you happy. He's a liar. Eve, don't trust God. Trust in yourself. Watch this. It's almost like you could take all the statements we say today in culture and put them right in the mouth of the serpent. It's almost like he's saying, Eve, be your own person. Eve, believe in yourself. Eve, follow your heart. Eve, it's your life. Do with it what you want. Eve, don't trust God. Be your own God. Eve, don't let him be your boss. Be your own boss. And she's like, hmm, that sounds good right there. Then look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and ran and hid from God right there. What is wrong with us? Why is there war today? Why is there racism? Why is there hatred? Why is there cancer? Why is there divorce? Why is there suffering? Why is there so much evil going on in the world today? Why is there so much heartache? And it can all be traced to this very moment. That when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, everything changed. The power of sin entered them. And they became sinners. And sin cannot be in the presence of holiness. And so now they were separated from God. In a moment, if you were to keep reading, you would see that God removed them from the Garden of Eden. And when the power of sin entered them, remember how God breathed a soul and a spirit inside of them? When the power of sin entered them, that soul, that spirit died. They became spiritually dead, meaning there was nothing they could do to please God again. No matter how many good acts they did, nothing would reconnect them to God. The image of God on them shattered and was broken beyond repair. Everything changed. And you go, well, Shane, so what? That was a long time ago. What in the world does that have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with us in 2019. See, if you get on Ancestry.com, we all end up at Adam and Eve. And when they rebelled against the Holy God, it changed everything for humanity. Now watch this. You go, well, so what? That was their problem. Now, before we beat up on Adam and Eve too much, 
if it wouldn't have been them to mess it up, then I would have messed it up for all of you, all right? And you go, well, well so what? Here's the so what. Is this, that sin, that spiritual deadness spread like a disease to every person born after Adam and Eve. Now watch this. Every person born after Adam and Eve are born spiritually dead. We are born sinners, and that's me and you. Now watch this. I want everybody to hear this. That means this. No one, no one, no one, no one is born a Christian. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you go, hey, bro, when did you become a Christian? And they go, oh, I've always been a Christian. Meaning this, ever since they were in their mama's womb, they went to some building that had a steeple on top or a cross on the side. Hey, and this is an awesome building, but let me ask you this. Does sitting inside of this building make you a Christian? Just like sitting inside of Taco Bell is not going to make you a burrito. We understand that, right? We are not born Christians. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said it like this. We are born with our back towards God and our face towards hell. We're born sinners. And we're all good at it. And some of you are looking at me and like, well, you don't know me, Shane. I'm a good person. Oh, yeah, well, the Bible says you should not tell a lie. So raise your hand if you've ever told a lie before. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now. Sinner. <laughs> And what do sinners do? We sin. We're good at sin. We're good at hiding sin. We're good at justifying sin. Have you ever noticed when someone else sins, you become a judge, but when you sin, you become a defense attorney? We're good at comparing sin. You ever done that? Hey, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I ain't as bad as John. That dude's a big sinner, right? We're good at sinning. In fact, turn to your neighbor and go, you're really good at sinning. Tell him that. We are. There's something wrong with us. It's sin. How many of you would say, Shane, there's something wrong with me? Anybody would say that? There's something wrong with you? What is it? Sin. How many of you are sitting next to someone and there's definitely something wrong with that person? What is it? It's sin. And everyone knows it. Listen, you can go into any bookstore. You can go into a secular bookstore. You can go into Barnes and Noble. And what's the largest section in there? What? The self-help section. Because there's something wrong with us, and we know it. But hear me, self can't help this. Only God can solve a God-sized problem. Think about it. Every religion in the world teaches the same thing. Did you know that today there's over 4,200 different religions? It doesn't matter if it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Mormonism. They all teach the same thing. You know what they teach? There is something wrong with us. And there is a God or gods out there. And as long as you, watch this, do enough good things, then you can reach up to your God, and he may or may not accept you. So if you pray these prayers, chant these chants, rub these beads, light these candles, possibly martyr yourself, you can reach up to your God, and your God may or may not accept you. And hear me tonight. If you hear anything, hear this as we begin to land the plane. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not another world religion. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not even a different world religion. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite of what all those teach. See, because they teach, you must reach up to your God. And the Bible says this, we can't because we're sinners and we're spiritually dead. And dead people are good at being what? Dead. So watch this. Instead of us having to reach up to our God, our great God loved us so much that he came down to us. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has always existed, took a mission trip from heaven to planet earth and became a man to die as a man for mankind, but he never stopped being God. And we'll pick up there tomorrow night. So question number four, what's the solution? 
So question number one, where did we come from? A holy, on-purpose creator God. Number two, why are we here? To know that God. Number three, what's wrong with us? We're sinners. So we have the inability to know that God. But number four, what's the solution? Look down at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Did you know that the gospel was preached in Genesis 3? Look at verse 15. So now God looks at the enemy, the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, it means this. He looks at the enemy and says, hey, hey, buddy. Enjoy it now because there's one greater coming. That sin is big, but my son is bigger. That sin is deep, but Jesus' grace is deeper. Listen, you may be powerful, Satan, but there is one that's coming that is much more powerful than you are. And you may bruise his heel, meaning he'll die on the cross, but he will crush your head. Um, I have little kids right now. I have daughters. They love Shopkins. Anybody know what Shopkins are? It just blows my mind. They're weird. They're like pencil toppers. My daughters are obsessed with them, and here's the problem. They leave them all over the floor. So when I get up in the middle of the night, it's dark, and I go get things from the kitchen that are straight from the hands of God, like oatmeal cream pies and Big Red. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. There's times that I will step on a Shopkin barefooted. Son, that will test your testimony. You know what I mean? And it hurts. But I survive. I keep living. See, if you bruise your heel, it hurts, but you keep on going. But if, you, if someone crushes your head, you're done, son. You know what I mean? You gone. So he looks at the enemy and says, you'll bruise his heel. He'll die on the cross. It'll be very painful. But three days later, he'll bust out of the grave and crush your head. The promise is Jesus. So you can say like this, where did we come from? A holy on purpose God. Why are we here to know that God? What's wrong with this? Sin. And we can't know that God. Except for the solution. What's our solution? You say it like this. Our solution has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, now we're going to start talking about Jesus. Tell them that. The rest of the week, we're going to talk about Jesus. He is the solution. And everything points to Jesus. We are here for Jesus. We are breathing for Jesus. We sing for Jesus. We live for Jesus. We share the gospel to point people to Jesus. Now, turn to your table of contents and we'll be done. Right here in your table of contents in the Word of God are 39 Old Testament books. 27 New Testament books, 66 books in all, and they all point to the greatness of Jesus. Our solution has a name, and that name is what? Jesus. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, 66 books in all, and they all point to the greatness of Jesus. Follow along with me, if you will. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, He's Moses' voice. And Joshua, he's salvation's choice. And Judges, the lawgiver. And Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. And First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. And First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, he is sovereign. And Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. And Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder of broken walls and lives. And Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. And Job, 
the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk, in Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, his spirit is the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he is our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, He's the second person of the Godhead Trinity. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he is our shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and in Jude, he's the lover coming for his bride. In False Creek, in Revelation, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is... He is, he is the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Great I Am. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is God. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is King. And he is better than anything the world has to offer. Listen, our hope has a name. Our peace has a name. Our love has a name. Our joy has a name. Our life has a name. Our solution has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. Thanks for listening.